the scripture reading for the lesson tonight is in Luke, Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who is coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word tonight. Now please turn to the 14th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 14. I think one of the most beloved parts of the New Testament is 1 John. Um, It gives us instructions about dealing with our sin. It tells us how to have assurance and confidence in our salvation in our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. Um, We can read it and and learn so much about our relationship and and how we can have confidence in it, how we can live a life of security in Christ, knowing that uh, our sins are forgiven. But there is one curiosity about the Gospel of John, about 1 John, rather, and uh, you may want to look at it and give it some thought. But as you read... First John, and you come to the very end of the letter, it finishes on a very unexpected note. And that is that in First John chapter 5 and verse 21, John writes, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Now I say that's surprising because if you start in verse 1 of chapter 1 and you read all the way through chapter 5 and verse 20, there's absolutely no indication anywhere else in the letter that the church there was having problems with idolatry. And the puzzle is, and you students of John can, can work on this for yourself, why does he say that? Why does he throw that in? Why does that come at the very end out of the blue? And maybe there are some things in the letter that maybe help us, but I won't, uh, I won't tell you the secret. It's not really a secret, I guess. But there is no other mention of idolatry until we come to the very end. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul warns the Galatian Christians that idolatry is a work of the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 6-9, he lists idolatry among the sins that 
will keep us from inheriting the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Peter warns Christians in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3 that the time before they became Christians was time enough for idolatry. And he warns them that they must not practice idolatry anymore. And when we read those warnings, we may think, yes, we can understand why first century Christians had to be warned about idolatry. Uh, Gentile Christians had just come out of paganism some a very short time before Paul wrote his letters and so on. Everywhere they looked, there were temples dedicated to the gods. The book of Acts indicated that uh, there was a highly profitable business of making miniature idols so that people could could come, for example, to worship Diana and then take a small uh, statue home with them to worship her at home. Um, as strange as it might seem to us, worship was just part of their social life. It was part of their society. It wasn't something that was questioned. It wasn't something that was was challenged very much. Jewish people sometimes would say things, but for the most part, that was just how people lived. I don't know if they invented the slogan, but perhaps the slogan that we're familiar with, worship the idol of your choice, was sort of the way they looked at things. So we're probably not surprised that the apostles were concerned that new Christians just coming out of that might be tempted to go back into it. We might also be tempted to think that those warnings don't apply to us today. After all, we live in a Christian nation. At least we like to say that's what we are. We don't have idol temples on every corner as they did in the ancient world. The worship of idols as they practice it is not part of our culture. And even if we've just become Christians, we were not idol worshipers like those in the first century that worshipped Zeus and Diana and Bacchus and the other gods. But while it's true that we haven't just come out of paganism and idol worship, that really doesn't mean that we are free of the temptation to worship idols. The times in which we live has its own gods that seek our worship and our devotion. We live among people who are still seeking other gods. Oh, they may not use that terminology, they may not speak of it that way, but that is still at the heart of what goes on. We ourselves sometimes have a problem of seeking security for our lives or for our families or for our future from any number of sources, and not from God. And if not that, we are prepared, if not programmed, to rely on ourselves. One of our deeply held cultural values is self-reliance. We still take great pride in the person who is the self-made man or the self-made woman who, who made it on their own. We face the challenge of having our loyalties be divided. We face the temptation sometimes of being asked to be devoted to things and to, or to people other than God. So while it, it looks different on the outside, at the heart of it, we still face the same challenge that Christians in the first century did of idolatry. Our hearts can be divided between serving God and serving the idols of our day. We can say that we're Christians, but inwardly have something or someone else to whom we give our loyalty. So because we do, we find warning, instruction, and I hope encouragement from Ezekiel 
in Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, where we're going to study tonight. The setting for our passage is the exile. Ezekiel is the prophet of the exile. And on this particular occasion, some elders of Israel have come to talk with him. Verse 1. This is at the beginning of the exile. People of Israel have been taken to Babylon and are having to make their home there. Many of them have left home, including Ezekiel. Uh, And Ezekiel is God's prophet. Um, In the exile, he is the one who will be charged to deliver God's word to the people. Situation arises that sends the elders to Ezekiel. They want to know if there is some word from God or if God will give him some message about their situation. They want Ezekiel to talk to God in their behalf. They want him to get an answer about their problem. Now, if you look through the passage, you'll notice that we never are told what the problem was. We don't know what was disturbing them or bothering them enough that they went to seek a word from God through Ezekiel. But that's what they've done. And when we step back and think about the elders' actions, it might impress us. We might think, wow, here are some wise and spiritual men. How could they go wrong seeking God's help? How could they do anything wrong in seeking God's guidance? Surely these are faithful Israelites. Surely these are godly men. Surely these are even spiritual men. Just the kind of men who should lead Israel anytime, but especially in the crisis of the exile. After all, if our elders were facing some kind of a crisis in our life together, an announcement was made that they had spent a whole day and night in prayer, we we would have thought, of course, that's what they would do. We know them. We know they love the Lord. and We know that's how they would, would deal with things. What else would they do? But before Ezekiel can make his inquiry, God speaks to him. God, of course, already knows what is going on, what these elders of Israel are up to. And this is his answer in verse 2 and 3. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Did you see that coming? Is that what we might have been expecting? We were wrong. These are not faithful Israelites. Oh, they look like it. They act like it. But evidently there are times that the saying that if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. It isn't always a duck. And this is one of those cases when they're not what they appear to be. And the problem is, God says, is that they set up idols in their hearts. They put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Some students of Ezekiel take that in very literal fashion, and they argue that these elders are wearing some kind of an idolatrous amulet on around their neck hanging over their hearts, and that in some places they have actually put up idols. Um, that really doesn't seem to be the case, but, but some have, have seen it going that far. But it's more likely that they have turned their hearts to the idols again. And as one student of Ezekiel puts it, they long for the idolatrous observances that they left behind in Judah and Jerusalem. 
So they probably have not set up a temple. They probably don't have an altar. They are not building or making statues. But in the temple of their hearts, they should really belong to God. Because His holy of holies, there are idols that they have set up. They have set up these wicked stumbling blocks before their faces so that they see the idols, but they don't see the true and the living God. Well, why would they do that? Keep in mind who these people are. They have been drugged out of their homes. They have been drugged from Jerusalem around the Fertile Crescent and down to what we know as Iraq. They have lost everything. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been burned. And here they are, all of those hundreds of miles away from home, because they worshipped idols. And now in captivity, what are they doing? They're worshipping idols again. They're longing to bow down and offer sacrifices to the idols. Perhaps the best reason is that they wanted to hedge their bets. They wanted to cover their bases. They want to worship God and have the blessings that come from worshiping God and His protection, but they also want to keep their idols, at least in their heart of hearts, so that they can receive whatever benefits they think come from those gods. And so God asks Ezekiel, should I let them inquire of me at all? Do you think I should even listen to these people, God says? What answer do you think God's question expects? And I wonder what Ezekiel thought of all this. He's kind of in the middle, isn't he? He couldn't read their minds before God spoke, but now God has revealed the hearts of the elders and how they are given over to idols. I don't agree with Chuck Swendall about many things, but I think he's right when he writes in his book, Improving Your Serve, that Americans worship at the idol of I, me, my, and mine. Uh, that there is an idolatry of self in our society. Uh, what we want, what we want. Uh, we justify any behavior because it's what we want to do. And it's all around us. It's how our society functions. And as Christians, we're in danger of being influenced by that. Of letting, of that having an influence on how we think and how we behave. And maybe some things that we can ask ourselves to see whether that has happened to us is, is do we see ourselves and our families or, or our plans as the center of the universe? Or is God the center of the universe? Look into your own heart. In the temple of your heart, is God on the throne alone? Or is somebody else sharing the throne with him? And if you wonder still whether that might be true, a way to get at that is to ask yourself about your priorities and about your values and about the choices that you make. I can't judge any of those. And I am pleased to know that, that I haven't written this because I've got your name here and I'm judging you. I'm just suggesting that we can ask ourselves what these things say about our heart and whether our heart is God's or whether we try to give it to someone else. Well, Ezekiel does receive a word from the Lord for these elders. He decides to answer themselves. But it's not an answer to the question that they have brought to the prophet in the first place. There is a more important answer. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
the God above all, the one and only king, the one and only ruler of the universe, the only God who is worthy of worship, says. And to these wayward idols, elders, Ezekiel is to say, verse 4 and 5, Therefore speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, when any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Evidently, the elders aren't the only ones that have divided hearts. And the Sovereign Lord isn't just talking to them, but through the prophet to all of the Israelites. All of the exiles, as they live in a foreign land among strange people, are giving place in their hearts to the gods that they used to worship. Again, despite all the things that they have lost and that they have been through. And so God warns them that when they do that, and then they come and inquire of his prophet, He's going to answer them. It isn't going to be a message from Ezekiel. I will answer them myself. And my answer will be equal to their great idolatry. God will deal with them in kind. But as they have done this, then he, he will deal with them in the same way. Well, what will God do with that person comes a little bit later. But notice that God's first concern before he gets to that is to explain the motive or purpose that he has for dealing so strongly with those who set up idols in their hearts. Notice that God's interest is not in delivering more judgment. It isn't in announcing more punishment. But rather God says, I want what is rightfully mine. And what he wants, what he considers rightfully his, is the hearts of his people. When God sent Jeremiah and Isaiah and the other prophets to warn about the exile, he wasn't washing his hands of his people and saying, I'm done with you. He was going to punish them because he said that was going to happen, and he was going to punish them because that was his way of getting them to turn back to him. And that agenda hasn't changed. That plan hasn't changed. God wants all of their love. God wants all of their devotion. He has declared himself in other places to be a jealous God, and he will not share them with anybody. He wants them to trust him and him alone for all that they need. He wants them to depend on him and him alone for the security that they need. Despite the war and the destruction that Babylon brought to Judah, despite being torn from their homes, despite losing land in Jerusalem and temple, They've once again deserted God for idols. They haven't learned the lesson. They haven't learned it despite all the prophets that God has sent and that all that has been done. But here is our Father in heaven saying, I still want them back. I still want to recapture their hearts. From the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve, that has always been the struggle between God and us human beings. He wants our hearts. He wants our undivided loyalty, our undivided love, our singular devotion. And in our humanity, we want to keep them for ourselves, to give out as we choose. 
we are always facing the temptation of wanting to serve ourselves. And that is really the essence or the heart of idolatry, that we put in God's place something other than God, anything other than God. So Ezekiel has a word to God's people. Verse 6. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent. Turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. Again, it is the sovereign Lord who speaks. It is the king of kings. It's the Lord of lords. It is the creator. It is the sustainer. There is no one greater. And what he requires of his people is simple. It isn't complicated. It's not difficult. Samuel spoke of it. Elijah and Elisha spoke of it. Amos and Hosea and Micah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and all of the other prophets spoke of it. Jesus himself spoke of it. The apostles spoke of it. No, to the exiles on whom God's wrath has already been experienced, Ezekiel is to say this simple message, repent. That's it. Repent. Turn from your idols. Renounce your detestable practices. God wants them to cleanse their hearts of all of this. He wants them to dedicate their hearts again to him. To dedicate them to him for his holy use. I, I hope this catches our eye or catches our hearts. We tend to want to think that grace is exclusively the theme of the New Testament, but that's not true. The Old Testament is full of God's grace. It's really the theme of the whole Bible. An old preacher once said that the theme of the Bible is that God gets back his own. And I like that. God wants to recapture their hearts and make them exclusively his once again. Maybe in this life we always struggle with divided loyalties. Maybe we will always be tempted to trust our life and future to material things, to things that we can manipulate and control. Maybe idolatry will always be a challenge. We have an enemy who is seeking to devour us. But again, if we remain open to God's voice, if we're open to his will, if our hearts are broken and contrite, repentance can lead us back to God. This is not hopeless. This situation is not dark. It's not the end. God has left open the door for Israel to come back and to be his people again. The Israelites who didn't heed Ezekiel's call to repent did most certainly face God in judgment. Look at verse 7 and 8. When any Israelite or alien living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God is serious about this. He wants them to repent. He wants to recapture their hearts. But when their hearts remain hard and closed and unrepentant, he's going to punish the idolater. He'll cut them off. And everyone who sees that one will know that the hand of God was against them. Everyone will learn the lesson of just how serious God is about idolatry. 
Everyone will know that I am the Lord, God says. And if you look at verse 9 through 11, the end of our passage, even the prophet who inquires of the Lord for such a person will be punished. That's how serious God is about this. His ultimate goal is to fashion a people who are uniquely his own. God was working for the day when Israel would not stray away from him, when they would not defile themselves with their idolatry, when they will be his people and he will be their God, says the Sovereign Lord. It comes down to this, that we cannot have intimate fellowship with God if our hearts are given to another. Any more than a husband or wife can find intimacy in their marriage if one gives his or her heart to another. And when we stop and think about it, that is exactly what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 14. Unless you hate father and mother, brother and sister, son and daughter, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. If you're going to keep the idol of family in your heart, if you're going to decide to share your heart with that and me, Jesus says you can't be my disciple. Unless you take up your cross daily and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. If you're going to preserve your life, if you're going to pursue your ends, if you're not going to die to your own will so you can live to be to mine, Jesus says you can't be my disciple. Unless you count the cost of following me, you cannot be my disciple. This isn't easy. It's not easy. We're so tempted every day, every moment of every day, to depend on everything else or to serve everything else other than God. But Jesus says, if you don't count the cost, and if you don't give up everything, you can't be my disciple. Now, is God or Jesus trying to be mean? Are they trying to make life difficult? Are they trying to deprive us of everything? Absolutely not. Because the greatest life we can live, the greatest happiness that we can have, is a life in which God sits on the throne of our hearts. It is one in which He guides our steps, in which we live every day trusting Him and obeying Him, as we referred to the song this morning. That's where real life is. That's where true happiness is. And these people that have come to Ezekiel and, and they want an answer from God that they want their idols too, they're, they're losing out. They're giving up the life that God would give them. And what Ezekiel would say to us, what Jesus would say to us, is don't, don't take garbage in your hand when I want to give you diamonds. Don't choose death when I want to give you life. Don't give yourself to things that are going to burn and disappear at the end of time and not to the true and living God. That's the way to life. So as you look at your heart, are there idols there? Please, tear them down. Repent and come back to the Father that loves you and has done so much to save you. That is Ezekiel's word to us tonight. And I pray that God will bless the preaching of his word in your life this week. Thank you. Let's sing our song of encouragement. If there's someone in need of prayer tonight, won't you come while we stand up and sing together?